Now back to Mark's Gospel on Sunday mornings up until the end of June. And as well as the Bible passage that Amy read, we're going to look a little bit more widely this morning in the Gospel of Mark. So if you have sight of a Bible, that will help both you and me. Now, if you're not using a printed Bible, on the YouTube channel under the TV screen, there's a button, Show More. Click on that button, and there's a link to Bible Gateway, where you can access an online Bible. Now, the two parts of Mark's gospel we're going to look at between now and June. Firstly, uh, from chapter 9, verse 30, where Amy read, right through to the end of chapter 10, where the theme is living like the king. And then we're going to shift into Mark 11, 12, and 13, where the theme is respecting the king's authority. Now, for the next four Sundays, Mark 9.30 to 10.52. The theme is living like the king. And what I mean by living like the king is that as Christians, we are to live lives patterned on the king's life, on Jesus' life. Now, that is a high calling. It is a privileged calling to live like a king. Now, we'll see that it's challenging, for sure, but it's a high calling. Never undervalue the invitation to live like a king. Moreover, the invitation comes from the king himself, and the king himself, living within us in the person of his spirit, is how we are able to live like the king. For those of you watching or listening who are not Christians, the invitation is to a way of life that is purposeful and fulfilling and attractive because the King Jesus is powerful and loving and trustworthy and kind, a king like no other, a king who is the eternal Son of God, a king who inspires confidence, a king, as we sang, who gave his life to save you, to save you from your sin and judgment, and to bring you to everlasting life. Living like the King. Now, while we are looking at uh, chapter 9, verse 30, through to chapter 10, verse 52, the section in Mark's gospel on living like the King is a little bit longer than that. It starts at chapter 8, verse 31, chapter 8, 31 through to 10, 52. And the reason we are not starting at chapter 8, 31 is because we looked at the material from 8, 31 to 9, 29 at the end of February, the beginning of March. Now, that's only a couple of months ago. And in normal circumstances, those of us who were in church then might remember. But with all that happens, it feels more like a couple of years. I'd forgotten that I even preached the sermons. If you want to listen to these talks at the beginning of this section, you can access them from the resources bid on the website 
under the current series on Mark's Gospel. Now, what I'd like to do is begin by showing you how this section, this section with the theme, Living Like the King, in Mark's Gospel, fits together. Now, if the theme is, as I've said a number of times, living like the king, the Christian is called to a life patterned on the king's life, patterned on Jesus' life. Now, most of the material in this section of Mark is about how the Christian is to live, and we'll see there is lots of practical applied teaching, what it looks like on the ground in a church to live the Christian life day to day. But because the Christian life is patterned on Jesus' life, because the Christian life is patterned on the King's life, Mark punctuates his teaching on the Christian life with descriptions of what Christ's life, Jesus' life, the King's life is like. And in this extended section, there are three short passages where Mark describes Jesus' life on earth. Three short passages spread through this section as a whole. And I want to show you these references because they are so very important. So if you've got a Bible or if you're on Bible Gateway, um, first, right at the beginning of the extended section, chapter 8, verse 31. Chapter 8 and verse 31. And Jesus began to teach his disciples that the Son of Man, that's uh, the most common title Jesus uses for himself. It means Jesus is God's human king, but also divine, the eternal Son of God. Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. So that's the first description in this extended section about the king's life on earth. Second, chapter 9, verses 30 to 32. Amy read these verses for us. Let's read them again. They went on from there and passed through Galilee. And Jesus did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. That's the second description of the king's life in this extended section in Mark. And thirdly, just flick forward, or click forward to chapter 10, verses 32 to 34. Chapter 10, verses 32 to 34. They were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them, and they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him, and after three days he will rise. So in this extended section, which is about the Christian life, 
Here are three very clear statements about the king's life on earth. Very similar descriptions about Jesus, the king's life when he lived on the earth. And add to these three statements what is arguably the key verse in Mark's gospel, chapter 10, verse 45. Let me read that to you. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So taking these three statements and the key verse together, how does Mark describe the king's life when he lived on the earth? Jesus, the king's life, was marked by selflessness and suffering for the salvation of others. That's what Jesus' life on earth was like. Selflessness and suffering for the salvation of others. Now, underscore this. Have in your mind, if you like, a highlighter pen. A life of selflessness and suffering. And here's the underscore. For the salvation of others. Jesus did not live a selfless life and suffer for no reason. Nor did Jesus live a selfless life and suffer to set before us an example of the best of humanity that we might aspire to without any goal beyond that in view. Jesus' life was marked by selflessness and suffering for the salvation of others. Jesus did not give up his rights as the eternal Son of God to come to live on the earth as a servant, to live a selfless life to inspire us, or to set before us an ethical or moral example. He became a servant to save us. Jesus did not go to the cross to inspire us. Or as said before us, an ethical or moral example, he went to the cross to save us from our sins. The king's selflessness and suffering was for the salvation of others. There was point to it. There was purpose to it. Now, do you see that? It's so very important. It's so very important to understand Christ's life, his selflessness and suffering was for our salvation. And it's so very important for understanding the Christian life. Jesus calls all Christians to live like him, a life marked by selflessness and suffering. Why? For the salvation of others not to save people in the way that only Jesus can, but to live a selfless life, to be willing to suffer, to point people to Jesus, to lead people to Jesus, to speak to people of Jesus so they can find salvation in him. And when they do find salvation in Jesus, we don't stop serving them and one another and suffering 
for them. Our lives with respect to one another as Christians are to be marked by selflessness and suffering in order to build up one another as Christians, in order to shepherd and love and care for one another in the Christian life, in order to encourage one another, spur one or another on to speak of Jesus. You see, grasping this is so very important and liberating. Jesus, the King's life on earth, was marked by selflessness and suffering to save people. Jesus is in glory now, and the King of God's everlasting kingdom, he reigns in glory from where he will return as king and judge to establish a new creation. And until that day, and what a glorious day it will be, Jesus, the King's commission to every Christian is to live on earth a life marked by selflessness and suffering for the salvation of others. Glory will come for the Christian for all eternity. The certainty of eternal glory rests upon us. It is sealed by the Spirit. It is guaranteed. But now on this earth, our calling is to take up the King's commission to live like the king lived on the earth, selflessness and suffering for the sake of others. Now, is it really true that the king's commission is to every Christian? Yes, it is true. Wonderfully, it is true. There is no Christian on the earth who is not dignified who is not privileged to receive the King's commission. Every single Christian is commissioned by the King to this highest, noblest, and most worthy calling to live like the King. Mark 8, 34 is a key verse. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. If you are a Christian, whoever you are, you have received the King's commission. And if you are not yet a Christian, the invitation is to receive a commission from the King of Kings. What a calling, what a privilege, what a joy. And you're saying, not for me, I'm, I'm not a special Christian, I'm not especially gifted, I cannot take up the King's commission. Well, let Mark persuade you by what it looks like to live a life of selflessness and suffering that every one of us is embraced wonderfully. Now, over the next four weeks, starting now, we're going to pick up what it looks like. And today, we're going to pick up the first couple of marks of what selflessness looks like. And the right context to have in your mind, I think, is a local church like Chalmers, a church family like Chalmers, marked by serving others, marked by valuing the service of others, a church family where there is the absence of a critical spirit and instead an encouraging spirit. 
is a powerful family to belong to. Now, can I encourage you, before we plunge into the first two of these marks, can I encourage you, and I say this with absolute sincerity, and as your minister, these marks are evident through this church family. These past four or five or six weeks have tested the genuineness of the servant heart of the church. It is a description of what is happening during this difficult time. Yes, God's Word will spur us on to be to do these things more and more, but these marks are there. So, to the first of two practical areas today. Living the king's life means being a servant of all. Living the king's life means being a servant of all. Why don't we read again verses 33 to 37? And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, Jesus asked them, what were you discussing on the way? My hunch is that the divine mind of Jesus knew exactly what they were discussing on the way. But they kept silent. It's exactly like uh, um, Ali's bite size. They kept silent. For on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest, who was the best, who was the most favored, who had the most important job in the church. And he sat down, and he called them around him, and he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be the last of all and the servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Now, what's going on is that among the group of disciples, rivalry and ambition, people desiring status, control and power, we'd be foolish to think we are not immune from that temptation. It doesn't need to be obvious. You can harbor ambition and envy and resentment in your heart. It never comes out your mouth. What might this look like in the life of a local church? Let's start with the leadership in a local church. Leadership and authority is a biblical principle, and rightly exercised is good. But there is a big difference between leadership and control or power. There is a big difference between authority that is God-given and status which is grasped. When a minister, another elder, a group of elders, a small group leader, or whoever in a church begins to wield power, that church is at risk. And what is the risk? The risk is disunity, discouragement, many people not being embraced and affirmed. Moreover, the individual or individuals are at risk forgetting that basic principle of Christian discipleship and service that we cannot do anything for Jesus in our own strength. That was Mark's lesson in chapter 9, verses 14 to 29. They could not do anything because they were not depending on the Lord Jesus in humility. Now, if rivalry and ambition is a risk, 
an attitude Jesus exposes that is wrong for the Christian? What does he commend in its stead? If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. Selflessness, a servant heart, the attitude that wants to serve and help and encourage others rather than be served by them. The attitude that is concerned for how others in the church are doing at this difficult time. An attitude that expresses itself in action. We are to be a servant of all. We are to do stuff. Practical stuff, yes. But more importantly, spiritual stuff. Remember, Jesus calls Christians to a life marked by selflessness and suffering, and here's the underscore again, for the salvation of others. Selflessness means putting ourselves out to read the Bible with someone, to offer to pray with them, to get in touch with them. Let me ask you a question knowing in my heart that for many, many people that question could be answered in a fulsome way. What are you doing? What are you doing for others in the church family out of a loving desire to serve them, to see them grow as Christians? Thank you for what you are doing. One of the challenges in lockdown is Zoom fatigue. Brexit wasn't a word until a couple of years ago. Zoom fatigue was not a phrase that we were familiar with. I even received an article from somebody by email this morning saying that Zoom fatigue was a medical phenomenon. I was too fatigued to read it. Now, there are times that we need to take time out. The biblical principle of rest is just as applicable in lockdown. But when it comes to our small groups or speaking the truth in love to one another in Zoom breakout rooms after the service, then to be the servant of all is to think, tired as I am, I will do my best to bless and encourage others. Now, let me just mark that comment for the weeks and months that may lie ahead. When the weariness sets in, when the novelty has all gone, when we know that a Zoom call after a church service is far less good than a real conversation in the sunshine outside the church door, but out of loving selflessness, we do it to bless and encourage others. Out of loving selflessness, we sign into our small group on a Tuesday night or a Thursday night, even though we're tired. And I'm not saying that from time to time we don't need to take time out. A good small group leader will say, you need time out. But out of loving selflessness for others. We speak the truth in love. Jesus says we are to be a servant of all. 
We must not discriminate in a church family whom we love and serve. Of course, we need structure, like small groups where we care for people we know. But an open-handedness, an open-heartedness, a generosity of spirit is important. One of the blessings of the Zoom breakout rooms is that we get to speak to people across the church family. And as we get to know one another better, what does that allow us to do as we get to know them? It allows us to pray for them. And selflessness is often behind closed doors when we are off Zoom as we commit to pray for those in our family. To be a servant of all, that phrase also embraces, I think, the Lord's encouragement to engage with people, to speak to people who aren't Christians about Jesus. It is hard. It is not something many of us want to do, but it's something all of us are asked by the Lord Jesus to do. Now, Jesus illustrates by bringing a child into the heart of their fellowship, literally into the midst of them, to the place of privilege for the honored guest. Jesus was breaking with protocol, the accepted social and religious conventions in his day. In the ancient world, children were thought of as auxiliary members of society, insignificant, without rank or privilege, not welcome in the company, let alone given privileged status. So, very practically, who are we encouraging? Who are we in contact with? Just people who we like people who we think well of? Who are we embracing, loving, reaching out to? Who are we asking, will you read the Bible with me? Embracing the child in his arms, Jesus speaks directly to the disciples. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. Whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Notice the powerful irony. The one who desires to be first, who aspires to position and power and influence gets nowhere. But the one who aspires to be the last, the true servant, the true servant-hearted Christian, that ordinary, ordinary soul, man or woman, young or old in a church family, is exalted to serve the least, is to serve the Lord, to serve the Lord, is to serve his Father. Now, second and briefly, Jesus exposes a critical spirit that puts others down. It might be true that in lockdown, there is Zoom fatigue. It might also be true that in lockdown, we just might have a little more of a tendency for a critical spirit. The disciples harboring a critical spirit asked Jesus to stop somebody casting out demons in Jesus' name because he, and here's a great contemporary phrase, he is not following us. The NIV is even better. Jesus, stop him. He's not one of us. How contemporary is that? Now, the irony is that they had failed where this man succeeded to cast out demons. And the teaching is so realistic. If we had gone up to Jesus that day with the same complaint, we would have expected him to agree with us. We would expect him to agree with us because we all have a tendency to think that our way, our style, our brand, our group, our preference is the right way. It's human nature. 
And in the life of a local church, how readily we turn preferences into principles, traditions into traditionalism, where that matters is not what is done, but how it is done. You know, something that really encourages me at the moment, I've not heard a single comment about, are we having two modern or two old songs? There's a generosity of spirit. Or between churches, the critical spirit that looks at other churches and criticizes them for a whole range of reasons. Let me read this assessment of the church today in Scotland. And I quote, Scots tend to be partisan, tribal, and parochialism, often all three. And while these tendencies remain, partisanship, tribalism, and parochialism are thankfully rarer than they were, and all but gone in the emerging generation of Christian leaders, Johnny's generation. These negative Scottish tendencies to partisanship and the like have been so detrimental to the cause of the gospel in the past that we are sufficiently fearful in light of the fragility of the church in Scotland in the present to risk that backward step again. There is now across the country a new and a genuine spirit of partnership in place of partisanship. It is hugely welcome. Let's not let lockdown allow the devil to sow these seeds of partisanship and tribalism again. Now, Jesus' response to his disciples is not what we expect. Jesus says, do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterwards to speak evil of me, for the one who is not against us is for us. Now, Jesus is not advocating tolerance where there is no truth. He is not advocating the kind of anything-goes-inclusive attitude. Nor, I think, is he making a definitive assessment of this man's ministry, good or bad. He's simply saying, time will tell. What Jesus is doing here is to point out, to expose the default mode that lurks in my heart and maybe yours, that habitually puts others down simply because they are not in our camp or they do not share our preferences or likes. Verse 41, Jesus shifts the ground slightly. For truly, I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. The issue here is not putting others down, but an arrogant and dismissive attitude that looks down on the humblest acts of ministry. Any act of service done in Jesus' name within the Christian fellowship will be eternally rewarded. I get to stand behind a lectern in what is like a TV studio preaching a sermon to people watching on telly. Somebody else came into this building this morning at nine o'clock and cleaned all the surfaces so we can care for the very few people who are here on site. Both belong to Christ. Both are equally valued. Both contribute to people's salvation. Both are equally ranked. The kingdom of God is another world on this earth and a wonderful place to belong. Eternal rewards are not determined by worldly criterion. Value the service of others. 
value other churches, value people whose preferences are not mine, value the humblest acts of service, value them because Jesus values them for they belong to him. And so living the king's life means being a servant of all. Living the king's life means valuing the service of others. Jesus calls all Christians to live like him, a life marked by selflessness and suffering for the salvation of others. Can I encourage you once again that these marks are evident in the life of Chalmers? Can I encourage you to a selflessness over the weeks and months ahead that keeps us united, that keeps us growing into the likeness of Jesus Christ so that when we return from lockdown, we will be more loving, more united. And can I encourage you to the selflessness that sends the text or the email to somebody who is not a Christian and says, can I talk to you about my King? Can I talk to you about another world, another way of life? Can I talk to you about Jesus? May God bless us, help us and guard us and keep us during this time. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for this very practical teaching on being a servant to one another. Thank you, Lord, for the purpose and worth and value we can see in that. And Lord, always in a church family, and we've all been there individually. I've been there often. That selflessness disappears. Reignites, Lord Jesus, by your Spirit, that flame of loving, sacrificial service that works out in picking up the phone or sending an email or reading the Bible with someone, or staying on a Zoom call. Help us, Lord, to love one another from the heart. And help us to reach out and be a servant to all that people will find Jesus. And we pray in his name and for his sake.